0: Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that features the very best in productivity and professional development in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Patton McDowell, happy to bring you new ideas that can elevate your leadership role in your current or perhaps your next nonprofit organization. Thanks, as always, for listening and your great feedback. Uh, Glad to bring you these weekly conversations with experts that hopefully can help you on your journey. In fact, this week is no exception. I had a great conversation with Devlin McNeil, who's the president and executive director of Arts Plus, which is doing some fantastic and creative programming right now in arts education. Of course, I don't have to tell those of you leading arts organizations the challenges you're having to manage in addition to everything else that shifted during this pandemic. Well, you don't have to be in the arts sector to appreciate Uh, all that Devlin has offered our audience this week in terms of practical advice. There are three things you might want to listen for in particular from Devlin's commentary. Number one, do you have the leadership skills necessary to manage change? Because it's certainly going to come at you. Hopefully nothing like what we've all had to deal with in the recent months, but they're skills that you can work on. Uh, Number two, Devlin talked about how she utilized career research to help evaluate the right opportunity that has indeed emerged at arts plus and finally she talked about what she's doing to build a dynamic staff and board uh, and it's really paid off and i think you'll see why well don't forget the show notes check them out this is episode number 48 just go to the podcast or the news page at pattenmcdowell.com and you'll find all the resources, links, and Devlin's great book recommendation, as well as other information on the work she's doing at Arts Plus. Speaking of resources, don't hesitate to reach out to us if we can help you pivot with your strategic plan or perhaps a tune-up to your fundraising programming, or maybe you just need help facilitating a retreat or a training. Uh, Reach out. Happy to connect with you on that further. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation With Devlin McNeil. Devlin thank you for joining me on the path.
1: Oh you're so welcome. I'm happy to be here.
0: Uh, It's fun to have this conversation although the times that we're dealing with nonprofit leadership are not so much fun and I want to dive into what you and Arts Plus have done to help accommodate these strange circumstances. But before we get into that Let's hear a little bit about your journey, Devlin. How did you come to the nonprofit path?
1: Wow, it was a, a kind of a convoluted way that I came to nonprofit land from the corporate sector uh, many years ago, and I won't go into it, you know, for this whole time. But in another life, I worked for a bank. I worked for First Union, which is now, as we know, Wells Fargo, and um, took a. Took a side journey home uh, when I had my children and stayed home with them and went back to college or went to college, I should say, as a non-traditional student and graduated with my undergraduate degree in photography and um, art history. And I landed part time at a nonprofit uh, art center in Charlotte, probably about, <clears throat> my gosh, maybe 20 years ago? 18 years <laughs> I ago? Promise,
0: I promised we wouldn't date you on any know, of these. I know. This uh, is true. Right? That's
1: right. <laughs> that is exactly right. And so it was a completely different shift for me being in the corporate sector and then going into the nonprofit sector. And then I did my uh, some graduate coursework in arts administration. Um, so that's how I came to be a nonprofit. It, it was a choice that I consciously made after I finished. Uh, my non-traditional undergraduate degree that I wanted to do something different than what I had done, which is what had led me, you know, away from getting a business degree to getting, you know, the, um, an arts degree. And, but it really also meant completely starting over, um, which was a little unusual, um, you know, at that particular time and age in life to completely start over somewhere else. But I think that using, you know, having those both parts of my brain being, um, activated, sort of helped me with that, you know, having that that time in the corporate business financial world and then moving into the nonprofit sector. I think they complemented each other very well.
0: That's a great point. And, and you and I've talked about, we've had friends and colleagues from both sides of the for-profit and nonprofit sector uh, but in this case, like you, moving from for-profit to nonprofit, And so I look forward to maybe unpacking that a little bit more as to what lessons you learned in making that jump. And obviously, mm-hmm. you were thoughtful about getting the experiences on both sides. And I think it's led to your success now. Um, before we get into your current uh, kind of leadership role, um, you know, you've probably heard me. I ask our guests, how are you managing uh, kind of the volume of activity now in a virtual environment? Devlin, how do you stay organized? What are some of your productivity tips?
1: Well, once we realized, um, you know, with our offices being in Spirit Square, and once we realized that we, there's no telling when uh, we're going to be able to get back into the office and work uh, very quickly, I went uh, across the street, literally, and and brought everything home that I could. I brought my computer, my my computer, my extra monitor, my printer, and honestly, it took me about probably about four or five weeks just to try to figure out the best part, the best part in my (laughs) setup, how to set it up and where's the best part to, to do it. But I have found that, um, I have to treat it like going to work, even though you're just going into another room, you have to consciously say, okay, I'm going to go to work now and go into another room, have your list, have everything that you want to do. And then at the end of the day, you have to leave it like you're leaving the office as well. So it really has been, um, uh, you know, because it's so easy when you're working from home to get distracted by something and then you go segue and do something else around the house. But really to to make sure that you stay focused on uh, what the work day is uh, during the day and then at night, because also the, the, the trap can be is to keep your computer up and running all night until eight o'clock. And good and point. So really, yeah. You just really have to to treat it like you're like you're driving to and from the office and and turn it on and then turn it off.
0: It's a great point, Devlin, because the, the danger of, of no work-life balance, uh, it all blurs together now, doesn't it, or could if we're not intentional about separating. Right, right. Let me start with this question, Devlin. Um, mm-hmm. What is Arts Plus for those listeners who may not be familiar with your organization?
1: Sure. So Arts Plus is a 50-year-old organization that is formerly known as Community School of the Arts um, that was founded in 1969 um, by a gentleman who strongly believed that a high-quality arts education should be accessible to everyone. He was in a um, church in an urban environment, and he looked around and knew that the neighborhood could not afford piano lessons and he was in a church that had 14 15 unused pianos and so he went to the pastor and this was his idea for a nonprofit it always started as a nonprofit and so that's how it started and it was really more than you know 50 years ago it was really more than just piano lessons every day these kids came in and five days a week and they had a meal and they did their homework and they did sightseeing and they did choir so it was really a a, a wraparound services as well. And so that was the basis of how the organization was started, that high quality should be accessible. And then what happened is everyone understood the quality was exceptional and wanted to pay for it for, for their children and thus set up the, the model that still guides us today is that there's right. a revenue stream that allows us to continue to have a very healthy robust uh, financial aid scholarship outreach component
0: i love that and again i think it's it's a unique model but one that serves all elements of the community and you all have done that very well and of course like all all nonprofits, arts organizations in particular in what mid-march had to face a pretty dramatic change of environment like you described personally (laughs) your your home (laughs) office uh became Mm -hmm. the new focal point for you personally How did you, though, as an organization leading Arts Plus uh, adapt kind of in that early stage, you know, when it was really a triage of activity?
1: Right. So we very quickly learned that. and, and, And because, Patton, as you know, we are a nomadic type of organization in the fact that we don't have one large building where everyone comes to us for, for programming, right? right? We are in, out in the community, 15, 20 different locations. And so it became abundantly clear to us uh, that very first week when we realized things weren't going to open back up quickly um, and that we would have to rely on other people being open, that we just had to make a shift to 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 make this work for us. And so what we were able to do quickly was to move all of our private music lesson students to online format. So our music team worked worked with each one of our instructors to make sure that they were set up with a format that they could, you know, be be at Zoom, be at Skype, getting them set up with cameras on their computer, right, whatever right. whatever we could take to, to make that happen, so students um, could continue their lessons not only for the continuity of their lesson uh, and it being important, but also for a sense of normalcy in the midst of everything, just going into such an upheaval and kids being at home and not having, uh, you know, having their daily lives interrupted as well. And so it really was a, 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 we quickly did that um, and it was successful. So, so much so I always joke with uh, people that one of our instructors who's 92 years old, uh, was one of the first to teach on Skype in the midst of all this, which, is, which I think is for anybody who thinks they're technology techn, you know, challenged in that way. So we were able to do that quickly with our private lessons and it and it really opened up the door for us to continue to have a conversations of, okay, so this isn't going to be temporary. And even no. when things go back to normal, so to speak, whatever that is, this is always going to be an element of what we're going to do in the future. And it's interesting because the music team in particular had been having, we had been having a lot of conversations about what is music instruction in the future look like You know, is it virtual lessons? Is it, you know, going into people's homes for lessons? And so some of this accelerated some of the thinking that we were already doing, um, which, you know, uh, I guess is, I guess you could call it a benefit of of whatever, you know, what's going on.
0: Yeah, right.
1: The harder part for us um, has been the programs that we do uh, with outreach. When we were going out into community centers and after school, for example, I think you know our Project Harmony, to where we were working right, with right. you know a um, couple hundred kids every week, going into churches, into after school. And so when those ceased, uh, and we still kept ways, we still you know figured out ways to keep keep engaged. But that's been a little bit more challenging and then trying to plan for the fall. What does a fall look like if it's all virtual, if it's a hybrid thereof? And so um, I think the pivoting and getting us into a virtual format quickly, I don't want to say it was easy because it, right. it, it was difficult. It's, it kind of seems easy now compared to how we're trying to plan for the fall with so many unknowns.
0: Correct. Remaining unknowns. and mm-hmm. But as you said, perhaps a silver lining is that some technology advances that you were pondering mm-hmm. may now be more further along. Could that Devlin perhaps even expand your reach if, yes. if there are virtual kind of teaching Absolutely. opportunities?
1: Absolutely. Funny story. So we, um, quickly also realized, as everyone else did, that bringing uh, students in for a physical summer camp experience, the risk just wasn't worth the return on investment for us. We wanted to keep everyone safe, so we, we took our camps virtual, and we had music camps that were virtual, and we're doing visual art camps that are virtual, and the visual art camps are designed in such a way that we send you the supplies, and we send you the instructions, and then you have like 30 minutes of Zoom time right. uh, a day. And so I was talking to uh, one of the instructors this past week to see, see how things were going. And they have a student that was participating from Mexico. Wow. And so, you know, obviously towards the end of the week, just out of curiosity, we just said, okay, you got to tell us how you heard about <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> this camp in Mexico. But the father said that the child would used to participate um, in a community center nearby that was closed and, and not operating. And for somehow, some way, there was, there was a link or a post about our summer camp. So to, yeah. To, yeah. So to your point, it doesn't preclude us at all from from being able to um, continue. You know, for example, if a student moves and they want to continue their their music lesson with their instructor, I mean, and for us to be able to reach and engage new audiences, it it definitely opens up uh, different different avenues.
0: Well, I applaud your kind of strategic vision there because again, so many of us are are struggling with it understandably, but perhaps there are uh, I guess the phrase I use silver lining that maybe will come out of this in terms of your programming virtually, but talk about Devon, the, the staff dynamic. Um any lessons learned obviously every your interaction with your team went from live to virtual virtually mm-hmm. overnight what is how has that gone, and how has the team dynamic uh, managed there at arts plus
1: yeah, so you know we uh, our offices were tiny offices and we were we, we always joke that we always have to really like each other because our, we are right on top of each other as far as <laughs> our right. space goes, which is, you know, which is a good thing. And so, you know, luckily we we stumbled onto the Zoom format pretty quickly and Zoom has been very um, gracious to education people by extending it for free and lengthening your, uh, you know, that 40 minute time cap, which is right. good. Um the the teams, the individual teams, like the visual art team and the music team, they're meeting all the time via Zoom, um, <clears throat> pretty much face to face, so so to speak, and then. Um, I keep holding uh, staff meetings. So we were doing at the beginning of, uh, this, we were doing a staff meeting every week and we usually do them every other week. We have now since moved to every other week, but I think it was important for us to all see each other and see, and see how we were doing and just sort of, um, just to visually check in with people to see how things are going. And then a couple of times, uh, several times we will have like a zoom happy hour, um, or something like that, you know that's uh, obviously a, a completely optional like four thirty on a Tuesday or a Wednesday or whenever, so everyone can just come back together and um, talk about non work things you know, yeah, <laughs> about things you. that are going going on their lives yeah exactly. but, and even on the staff meeting where there's not a tremendous amount that you have to cover because everyone's just on the ground running every day, it's still important, I think to To check in and to, to see one another.
0: Yeah, love that, and I think organizations <laughs> are trying to find that interaction despite the lack of in-person interaction, mm-hmm. and you've obviously done that. I, as you talk to your fellow CEOs in the nonprofit space, I guess arts in particular, I assume funding is the headline Devlin, or are there certain unique challenges facing the arts administrators uh, like yourself? <laughs>
1: So yes, obviously funding is, you know, a uh, patent funding's funding's the challenge anytime. <laughs>
0: but, exactly. Right.
1: But uh, in this particular in this particular element, I mean there are so many um areas of focus that funders are looking at, right? Um and you know an example of of the um the COVID relief fund between United Way and Foundation of Carolinas. I mean, that is a, a, a critical work to get for social service agencies and to to you know be able to get out and provide direct services for those most in need that are hurting right now. Uh, we were lucky to get some of the uh, COVID relief money, uh, good, and that good. is because we are you know they had opened it up to the arts, and I think what was attractive. I think what was attractive for us in that realm is that we're keeping creatives employed. And so to be able to have funds and to be able to, for example, you know, our what, 40, 45 teachers that are teaching online lessons. I mean, we are keeping creatives employed and I think that's, it's helpful. I think that's what people are are, are looking at as an important um, funding thing. It's economic development,
0: Um, right? I mean, you're, that's an economic development angle. Yeah.
1: Yes. It is. It is. Where the arts organizations I'm on a weekly call with um, all the uh, arts EDs and where they're struggling, where they're struggling is logistically. So, for example, us, um, our Charlotte Children's Choir, we have no idea. I mean, the data out there about bringing choirs together and bringing people together to sing and and not space, good is it? Yeah, not good. And yep. they're thinking that probably shouldn't happen until there's a vaccine. So for us, I mean, so how do we keep a choir engaged for the next year by you know virtually, et cetera? Take it for example, you know, the symphony who's trying to figure out how to, you know, social distance performers on you know their musicians on stage, much less what's in the audience. And so right. there's and and then you have the museums who unfortunately were in that uh lockdown mode and they're trying to figure out how to um you know how to reengage and bring people back in. So um again I think we're all in the situation to where you know we landed. We all tried to get our uh, PPPs, in order to try to do you know triage what was going on in the moment. And now it's just all of us are trying to figure out um, what 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 does programming look like for the this fall and the next year
0: foreseeable future, right? Mm-hmm. Has there been again silver lining in in terms of the interaction with your colleagues in leadership? Do you find there's been more networking perhaps or is everybody kind of having to focus on their own, I guess, fires to put out?
1: No, I think there has been a lot more networking. I know that there's a group um, that the museum group are meeting on a regular basis because they're trying to figure out how to open together safely. Uh, and so it's just they're doing that together, right? They're not right, you know, right. not in siloed trying to figure that out. And um, so some of the resources just in us being able to be on this phone call that's facilitated by the Arts and Science Council every week uh, provides us all with different levels of resources and to hear what other people are doing and how other people are approaching things. And that's, that's always helpful.
0: Yeah, great advice. And I do encourage people to take advantage of those networks they have or perhaps find these networks now because they can become invaluable. Um, Devlin, you, you're having to exercise all of your leadership muscles right now um, in ways maybe you didn't want to have to work out. Uh, but talk about when you first moved into the CEO or ED role. We have listeners, of course, that are on the ladder, so to speak, hoping to lead a nonprofit or perhaps even jump from for profit to nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Do you recall when you first started in, in this senior leadership role, some of the, the issues or, or unique challenges maybe you had then?
1: Sure. So I always joke with people that um I never wanted to be an executive director. That's what I always joke really? with people. I said, yeah, it was never in my it was never in my long range plan that this is what I wanted, you know, I I I must be an executive director. Now we all know that <clears throat> circumstances in life lead you to things and opportunities that you uh may not have considered before like I said, I was working for another art organization. I was chief operating officer. I enjoyed what I was doing. I was happy being the, the in, internal and letting the ED be external. Right. But then this opportunity for um, community and at the time community school, of the arts came up and uh, I was asked if, to consider, you know, throwing throwing my name in the ring and i and i really got to thinking about it and looking at it and researching it and understanding what the mission was and thought now wow that is this is something i could really really get behind and support and there were a lot of really good things going on um with the organization then that you know with uh, with some funding with pnc and some grow up great grants and the whole position around accessibility was really uh, attractive to me and <clears throat> it was an executive director position in Charlotte in an arts institution and those don't come often, right? right? Right, And so I said, okay, so let's just see what happens. And so here I am. And I I don't regret it at all. Um, the thought of it at first, you know, of course it's petrifying because it was all brand new.
0: <laughs> right, right.
1: <laughs> you know, it was one of those things that, you know, as as uh we all, you know, that whole um imposter syndrome that yeah. you know that we struggle with sometimes and and you know you walk in the first day and say I have no idea what I'm doing but (laughs) you uh you do you do know what you're doing uh you're there for a reason Uh, my board kept uh, reminding me of that, that, that you know you're here for a reason and I gotta tell you what made me feel so great about uh moving into that position is that there was an amazing staff um I had known the previous two executive directors. I knew the organization was, you know, I always joke that I I knew I wasn't going to find any, you know, buried bodies or big surprises or anything like that because I just knew that it was, it was a strong organization. It had been through a lot and the board uh, was wanting it to grow programmatically. And so, um, that was, you know, that was what I was there for. And so then my job after that was to make sure that the people around me in leadership at the organization, I always, I always tell people, I said, you know, if you want to be successful, you, you hire people who are smarter than you and things that you are not. And then you let them do their job. And then you Great all point. sort of move, move the organization together. And that is, um, that is what uh, is around me. And um, I have, as you know, I have an exceptional um, uh, fundraiser developer, development person who uh, we have grown our relationship over the past seven years and um, continue to give her opportunities to lead uh, And so she can move into, you know, at some point she'll, she'll go and be an executive director somewhere or not. will we will cheer for that. Right.
0: Indeed. And of course you've been such a great example of, and we'll talk about, or I hope we'll talk about how you have built a team. You had and it sounds like, you know, you inherited a very good team, but you've been very intentional about attracting and retaining additional talent. And I'm Mm -hmm. struck too Devlin by you. You didn't just have, Hey, I want to be an ED someday on my goal list. Um, but it was the unique mission, it sounds like, of Community School of the Arts at the time, and so I guess for people thinking about long-range career planning, it, it really was a mission call for you. Is that fair to say?
1: That is fair to say, Patton, and I tell people, you know, when, when I have uh, these types of conversations, whenever I have them, and um the first and foremost thing about if you, if you want to, if you're thinking about nonprofit leadership or or moving into an ED of a nonprofit, the first thing I tell people is that you have got to care about the mission <laughs> of the yes. organization. And you really do. I mean, you really have to care about it. You know, because people would joke with me sometimes like, you know, so what's next for you? And I said, well, it's not like I'm going to, I want to go do something Larger with a bigger, bigger budget. You know what I mean? It's just you yeah, it's really not have a stepping to,
0: stone, kind of in your mind, point. was it?
1: It, yeah. it it really isn't because you were out there, as you know, um, living in a nonprofit space. It's it's twenty four seven for the most part, and you live it and breathe it, and you're always representing it. You know, wherever you are out in the community, and so you have really, really got to care and be passionate about what what you are asking people to join you with, right?
0: Absolutely. And well, it's such a good point. And again, you also lifted up, I guess, when you first started, uh, when when everybody were on kind of shaky legs when we're in the new role sometimes, but you had a good board behind you. You had a good staff. Were, were there any other resources or things you recall that helped you kind of accelerate your leadership once you started?
1: I have... Um, uh, there were there were a couple things. Right as I was as I was transitioning from COO to ED, I uh, met with someone who was a professional coach.
0: Nice, yeah.
1: Who. I said, you know, I've always been, I've, this is completely new for me. Um, this I've always been the, you know, uh, the internal person with the with the operations, making sure everything runs, and now I'm going to have to be external facing. And so I really worked with someone to help chart me through that and, and really give me some good organizational tools and really gave me a way to, um, at one point, you know, Uh, I really wanted to check in with staff and ask them, you know, how things were going. But I knew what they were going to tell me if I, you know, four weeks in the new ED says, how's things going?
0: (laughs) Well, you're the boss, right? So they're going to say it's all fine, right?
1: Exactly. (laughs) And so she gave me some tools. I mean, she actually gave me a very helpful tool. and And I just sort of. Uh, you know, sat down with everybody and I just said, so, so tell me what you tell me, tell me what I don't know. And it was such a great way for me to approach that. Great point. Because I got a lot of great feedback from people and not tell me what I don't know because I'm, I'm not an intelligent person, but tell me what I don't know about this organization or what I don't know about your job or what I don't know about how things operate. So that was helpful to me Love that. To, yep. to transition through that. And then yeah, I've been in the nonprofit space for a while in, in Charlotte. And so I honestly was very lucky to have a lot of community resources of EDs and colleagues and friends and professionals and mentors that um, that, were, that, that were a good resource. And you had a good
0: network, right? You built a I good network. A, yeah. I
1: built a good network. And then <clears throat> probably about a year or so maybe less or you're uh, in there are there are two or three eds that aren't in the art sector um that i meet with like on a quarterly basis we'll go to fox cross and and have a glass of wine or wherever and uh, it is just for the fact to meet ed to ed not even in the same sector but sometimes it's um it's a, it can be a lonely place.
0: <laughs> right. Right.
1: Um, and so, if you can find one or two people um, that that understand it in a way, might, maybe not specifically to your sector or to your business, but uh, what the what the obstacles are and what the challenges are, that can be refreshing.
0: That's fantastic, Devlin. I. Not- I use the phrase sometimes a personal board of directors, uh, but that sounds almost too formal. What you've mm-hmm. described sounds even better, just mm-hmm. an informal way to to kind of share what's going on, because I agree with you. I think it's a lonely world for leaders like you sometimes who, you know, dealing with a lot of the nonprofit sector, of course, dealing with staff turnover a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes not in your case, but they're dealing with board members who are either micromanaging them or, or, or they're not engaged at all. And right. So, but you found like a group, it sounds like, to really be able to talk to about these things. Right, right. Well, Mm -hmm. you know, you also uh, express a very interesting transition from a more internally focused leader to external. uh, And external often, of course, involves fundraising. So tell me about Mm -hmm. how you became, (laughs) how you took the leap from internal to now I've got to be the kind of face for philanthropy for your organization
1: right well it's yeah and it's interesting because you know when i was going through the the interview process i um i told the board i said if you are looking for someone that you if you're looking for the star stellar fundraiser to to lead this organization i said i am not your person because i wasn't i my 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 strength was in programming and, and operation operationalizing things i said i am not that person i said however you have an exceptional fundraiser on staff um, who is still there, and I said, and it is also, you know, I jokingly, tongue in cheek, said, also well, your responsibility as a board to to raise funds for the organization. Good
0: point. <laughs> so, so,
1: so, but I say that because I also took very seriously that that the primary responsibility of an ed is to be the face and the fundraiser for the organization and um i formed a relationship early early on with the development person who is is there and pretty much said i want you to teach me everything that you know because i don't know what you know and good we have
0: yep. yeah
1: and have really formed a really good team and um, And she has equipped me well. I have learned more from her about fundraising than I would have from anybody up to this point. And um, so again, Patton, it is is making sure that you have people around you in leadership who you guys, you can lift each other up. You need people around you who are smarter than you and things that you are not, and you need not be threatened by that.
0: That's such a good point, and I'm glad you, I think that's a relief, I bet, for many aspiring leaders that feel like they've got to be expert in every category of leadership. Mm-hmm. And you, in fact, knew that you had, I guess, room to grow in fundraising, but you utilized the talent that was already on your squad. Absolutely. And made it, and and you have, of course, become very successful yourself. So I just think that's a great example. Um, speaking of people around you, um, talk about the board. And I think, you have been blessed to have, from my observations, a very talented and engaged board, but you've obviously been a big part of that. How have you kind of managed board development and engagement?
1: You know, I feel like I'm one of the luckiest people ever. I have the best board in the world. I
0: just—I thought you might say that. Yes.
1: I really do. I mean, I, I sometimes hear, you know, colleagues or other people talk about, you know, issues and I'm like I am so lucky I have such an amazing board Um, going through the the search process with the board and some that are still there and some who have left I mean right right off the bat, could tell that they were highly, highly engaged, um, just by the way that they conducted the the search and the in the interview process. And when I came on uh, the first three years, in fact, we amended the bylaws to keep it this way, but my my first board chair, his first time as he was coming in as board chair as I was coming in as e d, and he taught me tremendous tremendous businessman, he taught me so much. Um, just an amazing leader in the community and on the board and, um, really looked at early on at the board as he and I both did is, is, okay, where's the organization heading and what strengths do we need on the board to, to help get us there. And so we spent the first few years really looking at understanding that at some point, space and real estate is going to be a real issue as and we're facing it now. And so we, you know, we recruited people who on the board who were really strong in real estate, uh, commercial real estate and development. um, And then understanding that we needed uh, marketing because there was a potential even then that we thought we may go through a rebrand. And so getting somebody from, you know, a really strong marketing firm on the board and then really making sure that we really closed the gaps for what we needed moving forward. <clears throat> and that served us well to, to the point to where at one point we really just needed, and obviously people needed to be passionate about what we do. And, and right. like I said right. before, you know, uh, being an ED, you really have to care about what the mission is. Um, and it's interesting because we're at this inflection point again to where um, the board and the governance committee and I are really looking out and saying, okay, we need another whole set of. Um, we're here. We're here again, and we need to look and see what the organization needs to, to move us forward. And for example, one of it is around um, what I touched on earlier is what does learning look like in the 21st century? Uh, Great point. With uh, and what does the millennial parent want for their kids, and what are they looking for for engagement? Um, and so, really looking to bring those voices on the board in addition to the fact that we're probably really gonna land somewhere in a physical space within the next year. And that's a whole different, you know, set of uh, of issues that the organization hadn't had to face before.
0: Uh, and it strikes me, Devin, and, and <laughs> among the many reasons your board's impressive, but that the robust nature of, I guess for lack of a better term, nominating, as you know many nonprofits, I think nominating is kind of a, you know, um uh, late in the game discussion mm-hmm. and you all are being very intentional proactively to make sure you have the talent around the table. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, we were, we were trying to, you know, trying to, to do that. And again, or at that point again, but really just looking out and saying, you know, what do we need? And let's, let's, let's go find it. Let's go build it.
0: <clears throat> well, and I think similarly, you have been very um, forward thinking in terms of staff development engagement. You and I've talked before, um, because we know our colleagues in the sector, even prior to the pandemic, uh, turnover in in nonprofit is a challenge. But you've been very intentional about trying to maintain, I think, a real spirit of your team. But I wonder if you could comment on that. What are you doing to attract and retain staff talent?
1: Um, I think I think I've been. We have kept amazing. We've kept amazing talent. Our attrition and our retention rate, you know, uh, speaks for itself. But uh, one of the things that I I personally believe in, and, and it has been modeled here and there in my past, um, I had a, a mentor who was not afraid to give me every piece of knowledge she had in her head, and I, and, and, and it was it was a wonderful gift. And so when I look out at the people who – Work in at Arts Plus. I really want to understand what their end goal is. You know, I, it would be naive to think that, you know, I'm going to hire somebody as a registrar and they're going to want to work for Arts Plus for the next 25 years, right? That's, right, just, not, right. that's just naive to think about. And so what, are, what motivates people and getting to know people individually, what motivates them? What is their end goal? What would they like to be doing five years from now, six years from now, 10 years from now? And then help them get there. Give them the resources. That you can, that you within your capacity, we have uh, staff professional development built into our budget, so you can go, staff can go and participate in seminars and in conferences and and get the skills that they need uh, to help them get to what they want to do next. And again understanding that if they're truly successful <laughs> they're going to leave you and go and do it somewhere else sure, which is sure. which is what we want I mean we recently as you know we recently had someone who uh, left to go run her own shop somewhere else and she came to us right out of um graduating from uh her undergrad and got her master's while she is, you know, her MBA while she worked for us. And yes, gave indeed. Her, she had an amazing mentor and her boss and we were hoping and waiting for her to go find that one thing that she, that she, we knew she was ready for.
0: All right. Well, and, but what, good for you Devlin, but it, <laughs> Your reputation in the community, and I think this is advice for any nonprofit leader. Even if you lose talent like that, your reputation is somewhere that people want to work,
1: mm-hmm. right? And I think mm-hmm.
0: that uh, it's hard always to lose talent, but mm-hmm. I also think it's it's so uh, kind of nearsighted, short-sighted right. for a leader to think, "Well, I don't, I'm gonna kind of hold on to my people and not let them go anywhere." Uh, you, in <laughs> fact, have created an environment that people want to come work for you.
1: Well, and if you try to hold on, if you try to have that mentality that I want to hold on to them because I don't want them to go anywhere, they leave sooner.
0: Exactly. You run them they off, do. don't
1: you? <laughs> well, because you're not giving them, you're not giving them any opportunities to grow, right? You're not giving them new skills. You're not giving them new opportunities. You're not giving them a new set of knowledge. And I just think that's short-sighted for your organization in the, in the long run. It's, you know, you know, we know that it's, it's much uh, more efficient to keep and retain staff than it is to turn over a development person every 18 months or. Yep.
0: Yep. Yeah. Love it. And I do hope nonprofit leaders will heed your advice. Um, it's, it's, uh, important. Um, let me ask you a tactical question as we kind of wind down here a bit, but what are you doing with your strategic plan? You know, you, you have your long (laughs) three to five year plans. Mm -hmm. Um, do you, have you all put it on hold? Do you kind of shorten the timeframes of everything? But I'm just curious because you've been such a good and intentional planning mm-hmm. organization. i just, I, you know, just would love to hear how you're approaching that now
1: sure so our last strategic plan was a few years ago when we were uh, approaching how we were going to enter into and uh, celebrate our 50th anniversary and what those initiatives were one of which was a rebrand you know all the things that you've sort of seen happen over the past couple of years in december at my december board meeting i told the board uh, because we recognize that we are at the point now to where we need to, to do a planning process. And in December, I told the board, I said, I think it needs to be a business model sustainability session rather, rather than, you know, the, the, what's the next five years strategically look like because we're facing a lot of different things with space and campaigns and things like that. So that was the path that we were on and we were actually working with, a young associate from Pamlico who was going to you know help us look at programs and see what their ROI was et cetera. but then everything happened um in March and it felt silly to look at programs the way that we were doing them then to to analyze them so it's on hold but only temporarily because we are going to within this next year have to come together and think and talk through. What a um, business model sustainability plan is going to look like
0: yeah, I think that's a great point devon I, I think I'd underscore that so and you made the distinction between yes, we want long range strategic planning, but sustainability might really be the kind of headline right right now
1: absolutely yeah I, mm-hmm. I think
0: more organizations are going to have to do that or they're going to uh, struggle and and you're not on that path. I'm delighted to hear um. Devlin, this has been fantastic, and both the strategic and the tactical advice you are offering our listeners in every category. Um, any other final advice? You, you've alluded to conversations you and I both have had with people either on the path or thinking about jumping onto it. I'm curious, anything else mm-hmm. you might uh, emphasize?
1: Well, I mean, if you're on the path and you're looking and jumping into it again, I would I would reiterate making sure that your um, passionate about the mission and the vision of the organization and dive deep, <laughs> do a lot of research and dive deep yes, um, yes. about what, about what you, what you're getting into and what you think you may be getting into sometimes are two different things. So I think you're know, just really doing your due diligence um, in, in that regard. But again, just honestly caring, caring about uh, the mission and the vision and then surrounding yourself with uh With, um, with people and resources that you can, yeah, that you can, I mean, I liked, I I liked your term, you know, your personal board. I mean, I've, I've I've liked that term, but it's, but that takes an intentionality. It doesn't always just happen. And so uh, I think that is something that, um, that would, would serve someone well if they were intentional about that.
0: Well, you were intentional, not just with your mission, but your research on staff, on board, on programming certainly provides a checklist, I think, as someone contemplates a new opportunity. Uh, Those are the things you should be looking for, and thankfully, you have found it to be quite successful. Um, Devlin, I'm grateful for your time, your conversation As you know, though, I'm going to ask you if you'd offer our listeners a parting gift. Um, Mm -hmm. Give us something to read, anything that has (laughs) been particularly helpful to you or that you would recommend for our listeners in this kind of professional development type genre.
1: So oh, I had to ponder this question for a while and then I thought, can I really, can I really say this? But I'm going to because the book that I have read several times in my life and that I made my kids read when they were in high school, and I think I may have read it with them too, is The Alchemist. Good have for your you. Alchemist, it's, if you haven't read it, you should read it. It's like 120 pages. That's so uh, good.
0: Yes, yes.
1: And the whole book is about uh, finding your life's purpose. But it's interesting because this young, you know, this if you have read it, you know, this young uh, man is gone is going to find his life purpose. And so the book is the whole metaphors and how do you apply them to finding um, your life's purpose, and then where where you get waylaid and what that how that changes your path, but leads you back to your path. I just loved it. I just thought it was. I appreciated it for how much it talks about we how we learn in the process because you're in your life's purpose, and you think you're going down this, you know, this straight road, but we all know it's not, that it goes in 15 different directions, and what are you learning along the way?
0: Love that recommendation. Uh, I have both of my daughters are very high on that book, so they will be mm-hmm. delighted that a podcast guest is uh, lifting it up now onto two, the front row. Uh, there are of two our, things
1: that I want to say from the quote of it, then I'll, I'll, I will stop and be quiet, but no, one, of them, one of them is the secret of life is to fall down seven times and get up eight, which is one of the lessons from the book, and, and also that fear is a bigger obstacle than the obstacle itself, and so those, I just, Love I just can it. go back and I'll go back and reread that book every four or five years.
0: Yeah, I, I see why, and, and it is good advice and it will absolutely be lifted up on the show notes of this episode along Devlin with more information about you. And, and I take it for folks that want to learn more about, uh arts plus you are indeed open for business. So uh, is there anywhere you'd yes. like to kind of direct our listeners or information you you'd know, like to share?
1: You can go to our website, which is arts artsplus. it's A-R-T-S-P-L-U-S dot org. Um, all of our programs there, all of our virtual uh, summer camps, how we've shifted things. Um, it's, it's all there. You should be able to find anything that you need uh, and how to register uh, right there.
0: Devlin, thank you so much for joining me on the path. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Devlin as much as I did and came away with some practical ideas that can help you with change management and adapting to new circumstances that are certainly all around us. Don't forget the show notes available on our website, PattonMcDowell.com, where you can find out more about things that Devlin and I discussed and, of course, the great work she's doing at Arts Plus. As always, thanks for sharing this episode with someone else on the path. And if you haven't already, consider subscribing. Again, just go to the podcast page at padmcdowell.com and you'll see links to all of the primary platforms. Don't miss out on any of our weekly episodes. They come out every Thursday, as well as bonus features that are coming out at least once a month. Thanks for all you're doing in the nonprofit sector, especially right now. And keep up the good work for causes that are most meaningful to you. I'll keep bringing you content that can help you do it even better. Have a great week and I'll see you next time on The Path.